Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bashong. Josh, has our wheat pasture situation improved across the state any after this recent ice storm and moisture events? It has. We all know we're pretty dry going through October. That was looking pretty bleak by the time we hit Halloween. But we did start to get some moisture right before Halloween and early November. Some even caught another little rain. And then we had good growing conditions, good above average temperature. We had a good sunny days. So we've had some growth. There's still some skippy stands out there. Uh, but overall, we do have some pasture out there now. Hopefully we continue these growing conditions we got right now and get even more pasture before dormancy. Yeah, I'd say the wheat that we have that was established before the rain came has just gone gangbusters. You know, it's yeah. growing great and we've turned some cattle out, but there are big patches and you've got little seedling wheat and you're kind of thinking, oh, I hope the cows don't graze that area and they just stay on the on the tillered out wheat. But, you know, we're rooted in good. I saw some cattle, you know, you let them out when they're hungry and they attack that wheat and it wasn't pulling it out by the roots. So it seems like we're pretty well established to get started grazing and i talked to some producers down at chickasha this morning that said they got pretty good rain good establishment so it seems like that that corridor down through the center of the state at least did pretty well there are some areas in the west that didn't get as much rainfall maybe farther south i think so yeah so i hate to talk for everybody there but for the most part we have some decent conditions out here i guess it's about the second week of november went through northwest oklahoma through woods county and over to Coma area and stuff, and they had some wheat pasture, had already some stalkers turned out, but the wheat out there looked a lot better than it did two, three weeks before that. So it's been growing. Uh, hopefully we've got the moisture to keep it going. Yeah, that's one of my concerns is some of that early fertilization uh, went out and, you know, like in my situation, it sat out there for many weeks <laughs> without getting incorporated by a rainfall event. So yeah, I think you know, enriched strips are going to be pretty important, again, if, depending on when you got your nitrogen out there to make sure that you had some incorporation. At least on my operation, I'm going to be needing to put those out here pretty quick to, to kind of see where I'm at through the wintertime. I mean, overall, we, we didn't get any heavy rainfall. And from what I've been looking at the last couple of weeks, as we go through November, most of it has a deep green color to it. We're not seeing that chlorotic deficiencies of nitrogen that we usually do. Those nice ice storms and you got further west is more of a slush uh, mm -hmm. event than anything else, but it soaked in pretty good. Didn't have hardly any runoff. So mm -hmm. I don't think we lost too much. Yeah, we'll have to see. That's why we have so many tools in the toolbox when it comes to uh, nitrogen management, nutrient management there. But yeah, it's been warm and it looks like the outlook is to remain warm. You know, we have a little bit of, uh, as as we talk about this, there's a little bit of a chance for more rain, but whenever this episode gets published, I guess we'll know whether or not we got that rain yeah. or not. That's <laughs> where we always run into some issues when we record these, is uh, talking yeah. talking into the future about what what our expectations are. But we talked about drought earlier, and it made mm -hmm. it rain, so I guess we got to keep talking about drought just a little bit. Yeah. And, but it's already starting to creep back in this week's yeah. drought monitor. It's starting to creep back in. Yeah, we get abnormally dry a lot, and 
depends on where in the country you are. When I talk to some of my colleagues up in Nebraska, they always say, is it dry down there, Trent? I was like, well, compared to you, yeah, it, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We're persistently in some type of drought all the time compared yeah. to you guys. But yeah, so that, I mean, flash drought's going to be an issue, I think, all winter with La Nina uh, setting up and you know, spotty moisture opportunities. And it's kind of feast or famine, depending on where you are. You might you might get that two-inch snow and your neighbor get nothing. And, and that's what it's going to be like through the wintertime. But, you know, it's, as we get some of this grazing going and, and some of our wheat becomes available, I'm hoping, at least on my operation, I turn some uh, heifers that I'm trying to develop out on some wheat and uh, got away from feeding them hay, which was nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, any, anytime I can do that and make less trips after work, that's, that's something that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to lean on Dana a little bit this week to talk about grazing cows and you know in my instance heifers but oh well it'll work pretty yeah. much the same but we'll talk about grazing cows here and and what are some unique challenges dana because we'll get into it a little bit later if you remember to ask me the question mm-hmm. uh, but you know wheat is a very expensive forage source mm-hmm. it's high quality but it's expensive it's it's like the alfalfa of, hey you know wheat is a very nutrient rich very expensive product and Sometimes you get criticism or you think critically about whether or not it makes sense to run cows on wheat and kind of speak to the nutrient requirements of the cow and and how wheat can fit in in the best scenario it fits in with grazing cows. Very good. Well, so like you said, the wheat pasture is very high quality. So what we're looking at, and I have some things jotted down here, we see, you know, 20, 20 to 25% protein this time of year on wheat, gestating cows. So You'll have a spring calving cow on wheat this time of year. Um, gestating cows require about 8% protein. So that's a pretty big difference there. They only require that much. If you have lactating cows, if you have a fall calving herd, it works pretty good. They only require, you know, just over 10% protein. And so there's still a lot of excess nutrients there. And so cows do very well on wheat. But like you said, it's very expensive. And it, I think we underestimate the the cost of that forage, but typically we say most people you put stalkers or cat growing calves on wheat because um, there's more value of weight gain, right, than there is with a cow that's just, you know, maybe trying to gain some weight, but not, but more so just maintain weight. Now, I, I'm not going to talk about, you know, um, cows that really need to gain a lot of weight or cold cows today. Because of the high nutrient quality, you can really put a lot of weight on cows that maybe need to recover some condition or, you know, like you in your situation, put weight on heifers, um, develop heifers a little bit in some ways more cheaply than just feeding a lot of hay. But right now we're just talking about, you know, cows in decent condition, appropriate condition, um, gestating or lactating. So cows out on wheat pasture will maximize milk yield while gaining weight. You know, with all that excess nutrients, they do very well. Now, like I said, may not be the most cost-effective way, but we would not encourage ad libitum access. So access 24-7 to wheat for just a normal cow because it, you know, there's way more nutrients out there than what she can use, and I've repeated that many times. But so I just want to make sure that we are, clear on that. So if you were to leave them out there 24-7, which OSU has done just recently, they used a li- did a little bit of research so that they could have kind of a baseline. What would happen? Basically, what they did is they kept cows out on wheat pasture January through May. So they didn't turn them out until January. They were fall calving cows. 
And they gained uh, about 300 pounds over that time. Two body condition scores. The calves that were on those cows gained three and a half pounds. This is just an example to kind of show you, you know, what really can happen. That's like her gaining 20% of her body weight, probably. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Now, I, I don't have the graphs to show or no. anything, but, you know, it was around 300 pounds. That falcoming cow turned out in January through May, continued to milk just like it was, you know, just, you know, not peak lactation, but very well all the way through that time. The milk um, production did not really drop off at all through that time. So you can imagine calves were, you know, getting very, had a very good milk supply available to them and they were out on wheat. That, that is what can happen. Now you can have very fat cows. You can lead to very, very fat cows um, when they're on wheat. Interesting fact. My dad said that their milk cow, when she was out on wheat, the milk did not taste very good. No, that is a fact. So I wonder how that affects the calves. Um, I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> probably, probably doesn't. <laughs> it <but>. probably doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, the, the milk flavor of like, for ter- dairy producers will tell you the flavor of milk on wheat pasture is not probably real great. Keep that in mind if you got cows or nanny goats that you oh, yeah. that you have and, and you are a small homesteader type person that harvests that, you may not want to accomplish that. Yeah, it might have a little <laughs> bit of a different flavor. We'll just say different flavor. <laughs> that's a good good point. So full access to wheat, um, not something that's real like encouraged, but you can do it. You know, like I said, the older cows, the cold cow situation, totally different. But what we would encourage if you were kind of going down this road is a limit grazing situation. And you guys have heard of that, right? So most producers in Oklahoma, if they were to you know, consider this, would think that they would utilize wheat pasture as a supplement. High labor. Yes. So that's what we'll preface it with. <laughs> uh, high labor. Um, so there's there's kind of two ways to do it. Two to four days grazing low quality forage, whether it's low quality hay or whether it's native range for each one day on wheat. Some producers do this, and this is a a practice that occurs for some producers in the south central Oklahoma. There's a variety of producers down there that will utilize that. Big ranches will move cattle on and off. Now that's labor. They have labor, but that's what they do. The other option, which Dave Lawman and his counterparts at OSU have done, is a limit grazing situation. Three to four hours grazing wheat three days a week. So you turn them out, let them graze for three-ish hours, and pull them back in. So it equals about nine to 12 hours a week. And they really get their protein requirement and will really consume the forage. When they have learned that that's kind of the system, like just like a milk cow, she learns her, her, her routine. When, the, when those beef cows learn their routine, they will consume an enormous amount of forage in those three hours. Anyway, those are kind of the two options. OSU said that you can turn them out. You What it came out to with this three times per week, this three hours at a time, was um, they needed about seven-tenths of an acre per cow. Okay? So pretty low, and that, that could take, that. that's from fall through graze out. Um, that's, and that's limiting them. So you're limiting what they get, but you're also allowing kind of the wheat to recover in some situations. They're not going to be able to graze all of that during that time, but they're not going to gain a lot of weight. You're limiting their weight gain. You're allowing them to maintain just like we would want a supplement. Um, but it is, it, it is something that can be done. So what were they on when they weren't on the small grains pasture? 
So what OSU did, they were on a just low quality hay. So dry lotted with hay. Mm-hmm. They dry lotted with hay. So you could do, an, if you had an adjacent pasture, you could, and I think Dave Lawman calls it a sacrifice pasture, but really they need to be able to graze other forage the rest of the time, you know, a low quality forage, like they would be on a native range or Bermuda, um, or you could just be feeding them low quality hay. Their setup didn't allow for, you know, grazing of an, an, another pasture, but you could do it either way. Well, yeah. And- and a lot of our pastures, you're going to struggle to stock the wheat correctly because the pasture attached to that field is going to be too small. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, ideally, you would probably have you know 100 acres of pasture and 50 acres of wheat. That's not normally the <laughs> the situation. No. <laughs> you might I mean, have 30 acres of pasture and you know, and a subsequent amount of you know, a, a lot more wheat. But and during that time, what they did was they allowed the calves to have full access to the wheat. So using a creep gate so they could um, come and go as they pleased. And they reported that, you know, a lot of the calves would, after they kind of got used to the creep gate system, they would be out there a lot. You know, they would be out there. And so that helps with some gain on some calves. If you have some older cows, maybe it offsets maybe some of their requirement. So, I mean, it's a, it's a different way to look at things. And it's not something that I've put out of my mind someday when I get some cows. I mean, so back to the cost effectiveness standpoint, Trent, like does some of either one of those situations, of course, full access to wheat, we already said, it's not a real cost effective way to do it. But the limit grazing, could that be an option? I mean, I'm thinking of cost of supplements, traditional cubes and stuff like that. And I wonder if it would offset that. Well, the money's tough. Trying to assign a value to wheat forage. You know, the research says what well, we lose 8 to 10% by planting early and grazing wheat typically, but there's plenty of years where there's not much difference at all depend- compared to to grazed versus not grazed wheat. Is that right, Josh? On the grain yield, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're talking mm-hmm. about grain yield. So, grain yield. So that's where I come at it from an economist. If I'm not, if I'm going to be grazing, I'm potentially impacting my grain yield. So mm-hmm. that, that would be the negative and the cost to replace that that beef removed from grazing. So typically, you know, we're going to be grazing, we have to add some more nitrogen or something like Mm -hmm. that to make up for that. And, you know, we talk about, you know, 10 gallons of 28-0 ends up being somewhere around 30 pounds of actual nitrogen when you do the math. And and that nitrogen ends up being somewhere around, you know, 50 cents per pound. So maybe $15 an acre, five to apply. You're talking about $20, you know. Okay. Would just, would probably remove or would replace that nutrient removed from grazing, not looking at a reduction in grain yield. So from that standpoint, yeah, it'd be very uh, cost effective, I would say, okay. compared to feeding hay or something like that, you know, or, oh, yeah. or, or cubes. The unknown there is if you start affecting some of that grain yield, you know, 10% of a average Oklahoma wheat crop would be three bushels. Mm-hmm. So at a wheat price of $5, you're talking 15 bucks. So fifteen to fifteen, that's thirty dollars an acre. Are you going to get thirty dollars an acre worth of good out of that grain or out of that grazing return to your cows? And maybe, probably. It's kind of tough. Well, if you think about the the seven tenths of an acre, even if it was just one acre, I'm thinking about that. That might be somewhat cost effective. Kind of seems like that works. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you kind of do the rough math and you write out the numbers on a napkin, you think that'd probably work. What gets into some issues whenever you're looking at graze out. And, you know, you typically, you know, your cost of production on wheat's going to be all over the board, depending on who you are. 
But if I'm going to grain and I'm grain only production, I want somewhere around $175 worth of revenue to pay for that crop. And that's all cost associated. You know, you're talking about paying your operator some and returns to labor and things like that. So at least $175 in my mind. Well, if you take off custom harvest somewhere around $25, $30 an acre, roughly again, throwing out some numbers, let's get back to $150 per acre if you're going to graze out. So at that point, you have to get $150 worth of revenue per acre to pay to farm. And you see a lot of this whenever you go out into rye country where people don't really intend on grazing or, I mean, harvesting a grain crop. They want to graze out. Or the farther west you go, you're grazing out. And you can probably, the farther west you go, you can back that number off from 150, maybe down to 125, depending on what your land rent is. But you get all these numbers in your head. And, Lots of and, numbers. And start, Lots of numbers. Yeah, you start talking about, you know, what it's going to, what it's going to take. Well, $150, if I'm getting 50 cents per pound of gain, say, I assign that value to it. You got to get 300 pounds an acre. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to do something with that, whether that is, not paying for hay and I get that 300 pounds an acre to get my 150 per acre, you know, assigning those values to cows can be tough. Yeah. That, that does like now that you talk about the graze out situation, that doesn't sound so good. So like taking it back to stalker calves, it makes it a little bit easier because I've just jumbled a bunch of numbers up in people's heads. I'm getting 50 cent per pound of gain and I can think I can get 300 pounds per acre. And again, the two grazing periods are different. You Mm -hmm. graze through the winter time. Typically, you run two acres per calf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's people who do more, but it's like this year, I don't think you're going to be able to because we started too late and we haven't got the growth to, to keep up with that. So if you typically get 250 pounds of gain through the winter period, we can do better than that. But just being conservative, you know, you assign 125 to each acre because mm-hmm. you had 250 pounds off that calf. So then I'm having to come up with 175 pounds per acre through the grazing period. Can be accomplished if it rains. Perfect but, conditions would but, allow, but... Yeah, and your death loss isn't too high. But that's where you get to just kind of breaking even on that wheat crop. And so it's not easy. And you got to be really careful with your with the cost of, of growing things and, and, and all the inputs that you put into that. But that's easy to assign a value to with calves because you sell them at the end or you get that gain money. And 50 cents would be a pretty large gain number compared to previous years. You know, we usually see some kind of a range. I hate to even throw this out here because it acts like I'm setting the price. But from what I've heard, Somewhere from thirty-five cents to fifty cents, depending mm-hmm. on who's taking care of them. Yeah, and and all the different associated things with that. Well, you get down to thirty-five cents, it gets real tough mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if you're talking about doing it that way. So, and then you look at value of gain in the market. You know, currently we've seen somewhere between a dollar to dollar twenty if you're buying five hundred pound calves and taking them to eight hundred. We've seen plenty of value of gain there, but there are costs associated with running those calves. It's not like you get all of that. You've got interest on the money for owning the calves. You've got to have mineral out there. You've driving your pickup to that field probably every day to check them. You got mm-hmm. med costs. You got the, water. You got either repairing fence or throwing up hot wire. Yeah. So that's where you get you get into, yeah, if you own the cattle, you can get a higher return, but you have all those costs that come out of it. Whenever you talk about gain, gain cattle, you typically don't have all those costs. So you, you think of that as a true net return to, to grazing. So but, what we're saying is just, it's really, I mean, important, especially with cows, that you get that napkin out, put some pencil marks down on it, make sure that you account for your labor, right? Because this, what I just talked about, producers might be thinking, oh my gosh, this labor would be ridiculous. You know, yes, in some situations, it's got to work. It's got to work right. You know, it's not going to work for every producer, but it's got to kind of work together, you know, work well 
for this to kind of you know play out um, and make sure that you are looking at some of those costs. And some of uh, those numbers are really great, Trent, to kind of realize that this would be a pretty tight thing to make it work for cows. And and definitely compare it to a traditional supplement. Now, if you're feeding hay for 120 days, I mean, it may be a little bit different. I mean, I'm talking more just a supplemental situation here. Well, yeah, you can get into those numbers even more, but I would argue that if your cattle are in a body condition score of five or six, it probably isn't something that's going to work too well, unless you're doing the limit. And you, but again, it's not going to take very much wheat pasture at that point. No, <laughs> so, absolutely. So, so yeah, you'd be talking about pooling almost your whole herd into one area mm-hmm. and dry lotting them in the off days and, and grazing them. And that would probably be the best way to make it work. But, you know, we talked about possibly $30 an acre uh, being the cost of grazing those cattle through the winter grazing period and going on to grain later. You know, what? think about how many hay bales a cow is going to eat over that time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Dana, you can probably help me with that, but I try to keep a bale per month, you know, and mm-hmm. that's just my rough number of what, what my cows typically eat would be a bale per month per head. So Yeah, I like 30, 35 pounds per, yeah. per day. So if I'm trying to purchase you know, somewhere around an 8 to 10% hay, so I don't have to necessarily mm, supplement. Add more, right? Yeah. Add more. So if I'm buying that 8 to 10% hay, that's probably going to be somewhere around 50 to $60 mm-hmm. for a 1,200-pound bale, that one bale per month. So through the grazing period, you know, you're talking about in November, December, January, and February, that's four months. I'm having to have worth of hay for those cat for for that cow during that period of time and if she can survive on two acres and it cost me about 60 bucks to buy that wheat in that situation that's working Mm -hmm. so assigning those resources correctly and all that it it becomes a difficult thing but Mm -hmm. if they're grazing native range and you're caking them a little bit on the side that's not as expensive as buying full hay for those cows so Depends on what you're doing. Yeah, is every mm-hmm. every situation is different, and I, you know, that's a very good point. And all of these situations, these limit grazing situations, can be tailored to whatever you need. Maybe you only need it for a month or so. You know, maybe you only need that wheat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 got to be changed to work for each individual producer. Yeah, and in the current market, there's not much love for our coal cows, even bred cows you know, in second trimester or so that are maybe a little thin. You can buy those cows sometimes for 600 bucks, mm-hmm. 800 bucks. I'll get them bought pretty easily. You know, they might be nine or 10 year olds. So there's risk to that. But typically you buy that cow, put her out on wheat. She gains condition through the winter grazing period. Hopefully she calves out. Hopefully you sell that calf for what you bought the cow for. So anything you can sell her for is, is your profit. And you're going to have, you're going to see quite a few people probably looking at that just because there's not much love for cow coal cows in this market so producers looking at that i would say again that's something that's more easily quantifiable because you you're not planning on keeping that investment long term mm-hmm. uh, you're you're planning on flipping that cow basically you're you're gonna buy her cab her out and then sell her again so in all of these situations cows on wheat we'll talk just we'll just be specific on cows make sure you have the appropriate mineral mix out there for those cows especially if you're talking cold cows or lactating cows on wheat They've got to have high magnesium, high calcium mineral to avoid any tetany situations. Not such an issue with stalker calves, but for cows on wheat, make sure that they um, have access to that. You know, you get some questions sometimes that have cows out there on uh, green wheat and they're 
have loose patties. Mm-hmm. So some guys think they need to provide some kind of roughage or low quality hay. Is that really, well, do they really need it? So I will quote Dr. Horn again. It's a practice of little consequence. Yeah. It helps you sleep better at night. But it's um, another cost. It is. It is another cost. Some people put straw out on wheat. I'm not sure what kind of cost that is, but if they nibble on it a little bit, that's fine. You know, that wheat is very, the reason it has, you know, very liquid manure is because it's so high, also high in water, high in nutrients, but very high in moisture. And so that's part of it. For the most part, they should be fine without that. So, you know, if it makes you sleep better at night, if you feel like that's something you've always done, you've not had a lot of bloat issues or upset, you know, digestive systems, then go ahead and do it. But it's not necessarily required for proper gain. Have we talked about, or did you give us a number for how many pounds per day of wheat that is required to meet their requirement? Oh, for cows? Yeah. So if they're in the three hour situation, they'll consume like one and a half percent of body weight in wheat. So, so you're talking about 10 to 15 pounds. Yeah. They'll consume there. a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, on that situation. But if you leave them out full time, they could consume 3% of body weight, which you think about dry matter. Wheat is very wet. So that's an extremely large amount of forage. So I'm just thinking about, you know, feeding hay. If you can trick your cows into eating hay while they're on wheat, that's great. If you're not limiting them access mm-hmm. to that wheat because you're filling their, their room in full, yeah. of, full of hay and they don't, maybe they need one bite of wheat every two bites of hay. Well, that's essentially what they do. <laughs> so, if you could so, trick them to do that, please take this no. portion, like like uh, a plate yeah. for a for a three year old, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, but you know, absolutely. I always say if you're if you're buying that forage from a farmer or something, be careful what type of hay you're feeding those cows. Don't don't give them a rye hay bale and turn them out on a wheat field because that'll be a disaster. <laughs> They'll do a really good job oh. of spreading of spreading foreign weeds all over that. That's field. a really good point. A lot of wheat hay is usually rolled up because it has a lot of weeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, and that kind you know, of thing. if you could feed either a threshed straw or a mm-hmm. uh, Bermuda grass type, yeah, hay or native yeah. grass or something like that, so you're not you're not spreading some of those foreign uh, winter annual grains across the field that we work so hard to keep out of our grain supply. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Oh, that's been driven into my head. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) From a very young age. Don't be feeding rye bales to cows that have access to wheat. Yeah. We even run into that problem if they get out a lot. Oh, true. Like you said, this can go a variety of different ways. Definitely look at your costs and make sure they have mineral out there. It works for cows. Just got to make sure it works financially, right? No. Anytime you can tailor that to exactly what they need, I think we're going to be just fine. It might be just fine anyway in a normal year, but as the value of wheat goes up, we've seen grain prices increasing. As you jack the price of that grain up $6 or so, if we see increasing prices, it becomes more of a concern. But we've come to the end of our time for this episode, and I think we've we've talked about a lot of good stuff here. I'm sure as the winter goes on, we'll talk some more about it. Just try to bring you ideas that are questions that I have from what I'm doing <laughs> and what, what we've been seeing in meetings and things like that, getting questions from producers. So if you have any questions about this, uh, feel free to reach out to your, your local county extension office. Most of them are very well versed in, in grazing wheat mm-hmm. and it's a very common thing and have a lot of good experience out there in the country. So thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.